Hey, Brandon here, and welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for the download. You're really going to love today's episode. I had a chance to speak with Adrian Gostick. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get Chester Elton on the podcast. He had a prior commitment. They're the authors of several books, one of them, The Carrot Principle, and several others that you've heard of. They have a new book coming out March 3rd. It's called Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. And this is probably one of my favorite interviews I've, I've done in the time of the podcast. Adrian was fantastic. We talk about gratitude and why it's so important. And most importantly, we talk about how we can be more grateful in the workplace, how we can encourage it in a peer-to-peer environment, and also you know what we as leaders can do to create a culture of gratitude. So you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Please, after this interview is over, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review and a written review. It'd be amazing. And also reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter, and let me know what you thought about the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. Enjoy the episode and the interview with Adrian Gostick, the author of the new book, Leading with Gratitude. Hey, Adrian, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate your interest in our work. Yeah, you have a new book coming out. You've written several books with your co-author, Chester Elton. The new book is Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. So I've got to ask you probably the most obvious question, but the one that needs to be answered, what holds so many people back, and especially leaders and bosses, from expressing gratitude at work? Yeah, before we went on the air, we were chatting about this. It's like, you know, really, there should be one magazine article on gratitude. And then we all say, okay, now I got it. And then we all move on. And yet we were sitting around with our good friend, Marshall Goldsmith. I don't know if you know Marshall. And I do. I've read his book. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing thinker. And we were sitting around thinking all the people that he, all the amazing CEOs that he's coached. And we were saying, you know, we've written on gratitude and recognition for 20 years. And we were all sitting around saying, why don't managers do this? We survey our little company, The Culture Works. We survey hundreds of thousands of employees every year with engagement surveys. And always the lowest scoring item is, I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel Mm -hmm. valued in my job. And especially with millennials and Gen Z coming into the workforce, really feeling like they're not getting the feedback and recognition they need to know how to do their jobs effectively. And so that's really where we began with this. Here's how you do it. What's the psychology behind why we don't do it? And it was really fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the millennial group and even the Gen Z, you know, entering the workforce. I actually I'm on the upper end of the millennial generation and I'll tell you I respond better to uh positive feedback and appreciation as I think most millennials are pretty known for. And it's interesting because I think the generations before, it's uh, the fear-based culture was pretty inherent I think in workplaces. And there's a quote that I think illustrated this point really well. So the quote says, the problem is when people work in fear-based cultures, they tend to defend themselves, spending a good deal of time and psychic energy on finding reasons they're not the ones at fault, end quote. You know, I like this quote a lot because I think leaders felt like they needed to lead fear-based culture. And when, you know, they spend all the time, like basically trying to intimidate people and rather than give gratitude, why was that? And why are we still there? Now, again, we've surveyed now about a million employees and and lots of leaders, too, over the last decade. And as we've surveyed, and I'm guessing your listeners would agree with this, absolutely no human being on the planet thinks they lead by fear. Mm. You ask managers and they go, no, no, I don't lead by fear. 
And yet we found in our surveys that at least about a third of managers could be seen as leading in fear-based cultures. And what they do is, you know, maybe they're insecure themselves. So they spread fear around with this sort of narcissistic, mm-hmm. you know, imposter syndrome that they have. You know, maybe they think that it's better to lead with pressure than it is with positivity. So they, you know, hey guys, if we don't get this, I can't promise that your jobs are going to be around. If we, You know, they do a lot of things. And so what we find is just about every leader leads with fear at certain points. And some leaders create fear-based cultures, even though most of us think we just don't do this. <laughs> and so, yeah, and as you say, you know, can fear be a motivator? Absolutely. Sure can. Uh, can it be a long base? Can it work over the long period? No, absolutely not. You know, either we get out of there, we just freeze like a deer in headlights, or we just get beaten down and so that we give the bare minimum to get through the day at a place like this. You know, it's funny because I can see that a lot of leaders probably do this back and forth in their head about like, okay, well, if I want to motivate people and maybe it's short-term thinking, like leading with fear versus like showing gratitude all the time, am I going to be seen as soft? Like, what's your perspective on like that balance between using those two tactics? Yeah, that's a great question because... You know, a lot of leaders, for one thing, and we interviewed a lot of CEOs, by the way, for Leading with Gratitude, some really, really successful CEOs, Alan Mulally, who saved Ford Motor Company, Ken Chenault, who was the CEO of American Express for a phenomenal run, Hubert Jolie, who was the CEO of Best Buy. So we found people who were really, really successful. And we asked them how they integrated gratitude into the practices. And in nine times out of 10, They weren't born this way. In fact, in many cases, they were started out their leadership practice being the guy who was the tough guy. In fact, Alan Mulally told us, you know, his first employee quit on him after about three or four months because he just couldn't stand him. And he says, I was micromanaging and nitpicking everything. Ken Chenault of American Express, CEO there, told us, he says, a lot of managers get confused. They think being tough uh, will get results. And he says, you can still be quite, you know, have high expectations of people and still be grateful with everything you do. He was, you know, phenomenally successful. But when he ran his 70,000 person organization, every single day he would be sending out thank you notes at the end of the day to people that he had seen that had done something remarkable. And he was telling people about this. He carried around a gratitude journal Great. and never left home without it. So let's say people are bought into this you know, giving gratitude and this is the way to lead. Let's talk about some of the things that they might be going through in their head about why they wouldn't give as much gratitude as they would if they were completely all in. So do people hesitate for any reason on giving gratitude out of fear that it might not be welcome, like a compliment that just is taken the wrong way or something of that nature? Yeah, there's a couple of big reasons. And we do workshops around the world. And the number one reason people don't do this typically is time. I just don't have time. I'm just Mm -hmm. way too busy with more important matters. You know, and what's more important than your people who are going to produce for you? The second big reason is, yeah, I'm worried about seeming disingenuous. I'm worried about, you know, appearing you know, sort of bogus, if you will. Yeah. And what we found is that, first off, I mean, we are a society that loves the transformation. You know, you turn on the TV and every night, you know, Gordon Ramsay's built this empire on turning people around in their restaurants or whatever. You know, every movie has a transformation of geeky kid into cool kid. We love the transformation. And who wouldn't we love to be able to transform more than our boss? 
who's kind of a jerk and comes in and says, you know, I've had my head in the sand and I've been so focused on customers and projects that I haven't thought about the people who are delivering and I want to change and I want you to hold me accountable if I'm not appreciating. Well, actually, when I was a young go-getter in my late 20s, I had finally achieved my goal of becoming a vice president and I ran an investor relations and a public affairs department and one of my employees had been there 30 years. She redesigned the newsletter for our company because I wanted to make it more strategic. And she really did a good job. And, and so off we went, you know, and one of my other employees came to me, Jenny, and she said, you need to thank and recognize Pat. And I didn't even know what that meant. What do you mean you got to recognize her? I mean, this is her job, right? And so she, of course, more days went by. She finally brought me something. Jenny brought me a little something. She says, here, in staff meeting, give Pat this and tell her what a good job she's done. <laughs> okay. And uh, even though both of these people worked for me, she was telling me what to do. And so off we went and into the uh, staff meeting and I gave this to Pat and told her, you know, what a great job she'd done. And uh. she had tears in her eyes. And after the meeting, she said, you know, in 30 years, this is the first time I've publicly been recognized. You got to be kidding me. And she said, thank you. No. And so it was very powerful. And it's amazing how often things like that happen where we just keep plodding along yeah. because we're all busy, right? And it's interesting because like, there's some folks that think like, oh, maybe I'll just save it up for the end of the year, at the annual review or the one-on-one -on -one or whatever it may be. But like that point that you just made right there, that story, it was in the moment and it was really meaningful. It was. And that point you just made, Brandon, too, about sometimes we want to save it up. And, and I hear this a lot is, you know, I, I want to make sure this is successful. We want to launch the product. We want to make sure customers buy in and it's starting to sell. Then we'll recognize everybody. I took this class in college. You know, you have to take some phys ed kind of credit and bowling <laughs> sounded kind of fun. So I took a bowling class. And the first day we're all throwing the balls down there. And then the, the professor, if you call it that, kind of gathered us around. He says, okay, he says, enough of this. He says, you don't aim for the pins. He says, you aim for yeah. the arrows you know, 10 feet or whatever it is from where you're throwing the ball. He says, because if you aim for the arrows, more likely you're going to hit the pins at the end. And his point was, you know, don't have these big, long goals, have short goals. And great leaders know that. And they recognize every step forward instead of waiting till the end or the six month review or whatever it is. It, what's funny is that I think, you know, for me, especially, I, I look at this, I don't know if you do it, Adrian, but if you give too much gratitude, are you ever worried about it ever wearing off or that it's too watered down to the point where like people just don't find it meaningful anymore? Yeah, because, you know, the other day, my wife told me, she said, stop <laughs> telling me you love me. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> you know, does that ever get old? No, no, of course not. Yeah. And that we do have that worry, though. And a lot of times leaders will say, Ooh, yeah, no, but I tried this once and I had an employee who told me, I don't like being right. Don't do that to me again. I don't like being recognized in public. And so, so I ask him, well, so how did you recognize the next time? Well, I didn't. It's like, so because they didn't want to be recognized in public, you stopped recognizing them altogether. And so what we find, and this is social psychology, it's not just our research, but it's in raising kids, it's creating a great work environment. It's typically around five positives to each negative. That creates a good environment. You know, in our home lives, we know one-to-one -one doesn't work, you know. Honey, you look beautiful in that new dress, though it does kind of show that you've gained some weight. That's one-to-one, -one, right? You're kind of coaching, but you're also, you know, how many positives would it take to make up for that negative? You, know, you can't count that high, can you? Isn't it like five-to-one or something like that where you need to fight? Yeah. Yeah. That's typically what we find is where it's positive. And most people, you know, aren't in that threat. Now, we found that 
-hmm. you know, in Pollyanna environments of, you know, just positive, positive, it's typically around 14 to one where people say, I actually need some correction. I need some, but I've yet to meet an employee who felt like I was being praised too much. Yeah. That's typically not the Talk problem. about the science be behind gratitude and being grateful. Is there any science behind it? Like are people more prone to be grateful than others? We spend quite a bit of time on this in the book, but we did, hopefully we made it fun and interesting to read because there's so much interesting science around this. And yeah, you know, neuroscientists have been studying this for quite some time and actually, and geneticists as well. And we have found that actually there is predisposition for some people to be more grateful than others. In fact, you know, some people have genes that just create more gratitude within them. Now, with that said, we can all develop more gratitude. And we, we spent a little time in the book talking about the plasticity of the brain and how we really can change the way we think. In fact, as I mentioned, the 30 or so CEOs that we interviewed for Leading with Gratitude, just about all of them mm. said, I didn't start this way. Gail Miller, actually a billionaire who owns the Utah Jazz and businesses around the world, you know, she's got 20,000 employees. And one of the things that she said, was that she was actually a housewife and her husband, Larry Miller, began their business. And she felt rather sort of put to the side and they'd go meet all these important people. She says, I didn't even finish high school. And so I had no education. I had five kids at home and we were going out and all these fancy things. And she said, I didn't really know where I fit in the world. And she says, I went to see a therapist about it. And together we decided I need to find my thing. What would that be? And she said, I was very good at noticing the wonderful things that other people had done. So she said, I became very appreciative. I became noticed, I noticed the good things that were happening around and expressed gratitude for those. And she said, I sort of found my place in the world. And now as she's taken over the business after Larry's passing, she's just this amazing leader. The business has grown and people will walk through fire for a leader like that. It's what we've noticed with gratitude. It's taken us past this idea of recognition, which is saying thanks, you know. Gratitude is a personality trait where you where you see mm -hmm. the value that's created around you. So you're not just, you know, you're not just in your own head. We all have this tendency, Hubert Jolie, the CEO of uh, Best Buy told us, he said, he says, we all want to be the smartest guy in the room or the smartest gal in the room, he says, as leaders. And he says, we can't be. We need to allow others to shine, and our job is to make them feel like they they have value and they have worth, and they will keep working hard for us if we do that. I love that. It seems to me, just based on what you said, obviously reading your book, and I've read some other books on gratitude, but it seems like it's a way of life. It's a frame of mind. And if it's possible to rewire your brain to be more grateful, which it sounds like you can do, what are some ways that people can do that? And that's where we spent the second half of the book is on the on the gratitude practices. And really, it is rewiring our brains, as you say, Brandon. It's understanding that our people are creating value. Now, how do we open our eyes to see this? A lot of it is developing greater empathy. And I'm, I score pretty low on empathy in all of our motivation assessments and others. That's not why I'm wired. That's not what I'm interested in at work. And yet, as a leader, I've had to develop it. I've had to understand the challenges my people are going through. One of the ways uh, we interviewed a leader from Fairmont Hotels, who every year spends a day working in one of his employees' jobs. And they're not fun things. It's not like he's, you know, tasting wine or something. He's out doing what they do. So he spent a day in the house cleaning staff recently. And he says, you put your cell phone in your locker, you punch in, you go clean rooms for eight, nine hours. 
it's a hard job and you kind of see how you know the things that my people are dealing with he says now the good part was i also came back with ideas on how to maybe improve their job and so he you know he works a day you know cleaning or washing dishes for the catering staff and things mm-hmm. so are we developing empathy and understanding really where what the struggles our people have but also what the successes they're having and helping appreciate them yeah, it's funny in that section you're talking about with empathy, you illustrate the point of undercover bosses, the TV show, something like that, but without all the camera crew and the obvious nature that it's probably a CEO that's doing all this dirty work and going undercover. But I think it's such a great point. If we get to know what people are doing, even at the lowest levels, we're more likely to be grateful to the work that they're doing because we know how it fits into the entire puzzle. And they'll know too, because you'll be able to put it all together. Whereas they may not see how they're connected to the bigger picture. Right, exactly. One of the other things we teach as well is tailoring gratitude to the individual. We tend to become very generic in our gratitude. And I've met a lot of people like this. We were working with DHL, the big international carrier. And I was meeting with one of their IT guys. He had 40 employees around the world. And he was an incredibly busy guy. And so he tried to offer gratitude. And one of the things he did was he had a stack of Starbucks cards, you know, $5 Starbucks cards on his desk. And he says, (laughs) I became the Starbucks guy. Everybody did something good. They got the $5 Starbucks card. I'd mail them out, put them in the inter-office mail if they were international, et cetera. And he says, I read one of your books. He says, maybe I thought, well, maybe I should be personalizing my gratitude. But he says, but I'm the Starbucks guy. So he says, I started asking a few of my employees. And he says, I had one gal who I recognize quite a lot. And she says, you know, honestly, she says, I don't really drink coffee. So I give those cards you give me to my neighbor. He loves them. He goes to Starbucks every morning. And she says, I've been recognizing her neighbor. And so, you know, really, Mm -hmm. are we tailoring our recognition and our gratitude to something that's very meaningful to the people who are in our care? Do we know what's meaningful? You spend some time talking about conversation. I think this is a good follow-up section to what you just described. But you mentioned that gratitude is not a zero-sum game, whereas conversation is, because there is a finite amount of resources. I'm curious what you meant by that. And also, if people measure their value based on compensation, I know a lot of people do. It's It's like the most tangible signal. But I'm curious how gratitude plays a role in all this. You know, it's probably a big question, but you illustrate it really good in the book. It's a great question because compensation is important to all of us. I love reading these psychologists who say money is not a motivator. It's like, to who? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why are we all here then? No, we all work because we have bills to pay. Now, with that said, it is more of a satisfier, however than a day-to-day motivator, which means we call it a threshold issue. So if you're not making enough money to pay your bills, pay off your car loans, or whatever you have, then there's a very good chance you might be looking elsewhere. But if you are meeting the needs of you know, yourself or your family or whoever you're trying to, trying to serve here, well, then there's other things that keep you coming in every day and give you that skip in your step that get you motivated. What we find is actually money is a low day-to-day motivator but a high satisfier. And so it's a different way of thinking about compensation. It's really important to all of us. Now, with that said, as you mentioned, there's a finite amount. I don't have a lot more to give as a manager. 
What I can give is recognizing people in ways that are meaningful to them. And so this comes back to the idea of sort of that idea of personalizing. So uh, we tell a story in the book of Chester and I, we began actually, my co-author, we began working together at a large corporation. This is about 20 years ago now. So we were young, fresh-faced executives and uh, Chester wanted to recognize me. So he went to the CEO and he said, you know, Adrian's just written our company's first leadership book. We should recognize him. And Chester, his top motivators are ideas like friendship and fun and relationships, getting out and meeting new people. Well, to me, those are very, very low motivators. My high motivators are ideas like autonomy and creativity. Family is really important. So Chester had the CEO recognize me by bringing me to this gala banquet one evening in a work night with people I didn't know to be recognized at the end of an evening with a watch. I don't wear a watch, but Chester does. And so Chester, at that time, thought, well, everybody wants to be recognized like I do. If they'd have known my top motivators back then, and we've talked about it and laughed about it since, he would have maybe put me on a new assignment, since autonomy's high, that required my creativity or given me time off to be with my family, things that were more important to me. So we talk a lot in the book about how you really tailor gratitude to people and make it very specific and meaningful. I love what you said about cash and compensation could be a really good long-term motivator because obviously our basic needs need to be met. And gratitude could be a really good short-term motivator. Now, it's flip-flopped. I can see where that can get you into trouble. So there's a good quote. And I think this is in the same section you're talking about Wells Fargo and the whole issues that they experienced with some of the bonuses and, and the weird compensation structures that they had. But quote says, when cash rules, people too often focus on the prize instead of doing what's best for their customers, end quote. Talk about that. Yeah, and and what happened with Wells Fargo? And I bank at Wells Fargo. I I like Wells Wells Fargo. Fargo. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I have nothing against them. And their CEO admitted. He said we had created a structure where we were sending people to for the wrong things. And, you know, if your listeners aren't familiar, that employees created a lot of fake accounts to generate bonuses. I was talking to a CEO, I'm, I'm working with a CEO of a large technology company, actually uh, flying out tomorrow to, to meet with them. And we were talking about how to inculcate, we do a lot of work on culture and engagement. And the discussion came around to, should we hold people accountable for this and their bonuses? And his first reaction was, no. I think, oh. he says, if we do that, they will game the system. He says, I think the way to get managers uh, to care about this is in more ways to link it to promotions to, you know, we won't promote somebody who can't get their people engaged. We won't take them to the next level. He says, I think that's a better way of doing it than tying it to compensation. So you can be very careful what you do tie to compensation. Alan Mulally, who I, I was with this past weekend, actually explained the compensation system he created at Ford, where there was, you know, your bonus was based on a percentage of your salary times a percentage of the company's performance, then times a percent of your performance, but it was also your performance was based on how well you worked together with others. And so it was part of their compensation system, but it did force people to work better together. But you've got to be very careful with compensation and make sure that there's nothing in there that can be you know, manipulated, if you will. Why is showing gratitude for the small things important? And how do we spot them if we're so far away? Yeah, another great question. And I'm so glad, Brandon, you've actually read the book. So thank you so much. You're a great interviewer. And, you know, one of the things with small wins is that you as a leader won't see everything. That's just so clear. I had a chance to uh, study for years, actually, 
the great culture at Zappos. And one of the things we found when we began working with Zappos is they had seven recognition programs. Tony Shea, the CEO, told us about this as he was walking us through the, uh, the call center there in Las Vegas. So seven Amazing. recognition programs, six of them were peer-to-peer. -peer. And so his point was, yeah, his yeah. point was, look, as a leader, we're not going to see everything, but our people see everything. And they know who's dependable, who's creative. And one of my favorites was they had this little suggestion box, you know, and <laughs> most companies, nobody ever opens the suggestion box, but they did. Every day they had huddles at, I think it was nine and three for the afternoon shift. And they'd open them up and... So if I saw as an employee, saw something great happening during the day, an angry customer calls in, didn't get the right order. Well, Brandon takes the call and he turns this customer around. By the end, this customer's a raving fan. I, I just write his name and what he'd done, put it in the suggestion box. And then next staff meeting, they open these up and the leader reads what Brandon did and everybody <laughs> snaps their fingers, you know, instead of clapping. It's kind of silly, but it's part of their culture and they call it snaps. And it's just one of the things that they do. Very quick, very fun, but it starts their meetings on a high. And everybody's looking for those positive things they do. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things you can find if you open yourself up to looking for those small wins and realize it's not all on you as a leader. I'm glad you brought up the fact that Zappos is doing more peer-to-peer -peer recognition and gratitude-based programs. That's going to be my next question really is how do you even encourage the peer to peer appreciation and gratitude recognition program, all those things, how do you ingrain it into your culture? Because it does feel like it needs to be part of the value system. It does. You know, and a lot of times I'll say, you know, I'm this company I'm going to be working with tomorrow. One of the problems is they have three core values, which is awesome. But under there, they have I, maybe 20 more values. And then they have leadership capabilities, which they have seven of those. And then they have yada, yada, you know, it just gets really confusing sometimes. And so for peer-to-peer -peer gratitude to really work, there needs to be a simple set of values that we reinforce. Maybe there's five, maybe there's three, five, whatever there is, but it's not a huge amount. And it has to be things we really care about in our team. Maybe it's never missed delivery. Well, let me tell you what Kelly did to, you know, to get that order out on, on time. And that's terrific. You know, with peer-to-peer, -peer, we keep it simple, but we also give employees the tools to be able to do this. I mean, even simple things, you know, little thank you notes or, or different things. There are app-based ways to reward and recognize each other. You know, what we don't encourage is, you know, try to make this an incentive or if you recognize so many people, you get this. Like, no, that's not what this is about. But it's teaching people what this means and how this can help us and giving them the tools to do it and also helping them understand because when you first launch this, you'll get, hey, thanks for sharing your lunch with me. You're the best. That's nice, but that's not really what this is about. It's teaching them to really reinforce and live the values. Thanks for helping me get that order out. You know, you took ownership, and that's one of our core values around here. That's really, and it comes down to education, just helping people understand how this works. And then people are smart. It typically begins to roll after that. One idea that I grabbed that's a, it's a good follow-up to that point is giving employees a budget to recognize others and basically empower people. What I didn't get from your book is how much we should give employees to be able to spend on other people and what kind of things they could actually do. Yeah. And this isn't a typical lot of money. It's, you know, the, the organization that we referenced in the book, I think it's a $50 budget for the year. So it's not a huge amount. So some organizations do a lot more and they give their managers a lot more to be able to recognize and reward their people. 
Now, there's a couple of things in here. One of the worst problems that managers do is like, I don't want to single any individuals out. So I use my recognition budget to take everybody out to lunch now and then. They love that. Well, that's a celebration. That's important when Kansas City or San Francisco win the Super Bowl here coming up. They all <laughs> yep. celebrate as a team. But there's also the MVP, right? We also single out those great achievements. And what you'll find is high achievers are recognition sponges. And they will walk through fire to be recognized and rewarded. So, so you've also got to be very careful to make sure you're singling out individuals who go above and beyond. And you don't fall into this trap of celebration and thinking that is gratitude. It's not. They're very different things. Adrian, this has been a great discussion. Your book is so important. And the ideas that you and Chester have written about, so important. I want people to go get the book and go through the entire thing, take notes. There are so many great ideas for how to implement this in your organization and just how to rewire your brain, I think, is probably the most important part. The book is Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. It's out March 3rd, I believe. Uh That's right. Where do you want to drive people to? Like, what do you want to tell people? Oh, and, and... Wherever, wherever fine books are sold, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. <laughs> We've got lots of great retailers out there who are offering the books. And our website is leadingwithgratitudebook.com. So we'd love to see you there as well. Awesome. Thanks for the time, Adrian. Thanks, Brandon.